Well, hey, we are in the middle of our series, Run With Horses. And in this series, we've been talking all about faith and politics. And those are two things that are, uh, have a little bit of controversy to them. And naturally, a lot of, a lot of different questions have come up. So uh, that's what we're gonna do today is we're gonna ask some questions that um, we've been hearing, that, that we've been asked. And so Pastor Trevor, thank you for, for carving out the time so that, that we could do this. Glad to do it. But the first question is, is an easy one. Well, it's easy to ask, why? Um, why this series? You know, talking about politics is not something that we do. Well, not something we've done here for a, a long, long, long time. And, and the way the person who asked this question uh, said it was, they actually left their old church because that, that church preached and, and spoke and talked a lot about faith and politics. And, and they found that personally unappetizing. Um, it didn't, didn't mesh well with them. And one of the things they found refreshing about coming to the creek was that that was something we didn't do. Um, and so, you know, for, for the people who, you know, not just this person, but I'm sure it's probably a part of a lot of people's stories. Um, why, why the turnabout? Why the change? Well, it's true. We, we've gone years and years without talking about politics to any great degree. Uh, whenever we did talk about politics, it was more of a drive-by, uh, maybe a single message that alluded to politics or mentioned something political, but but we moved on and moved yeah. on quick. And I think for me, um, I've really changed my mind about the fact that we should probably talk about this uh, more often. Um, once upon a time, you know, a few years ago, I had decided, you know, this is one of those subjects I'm just gonna stay away from. Uh, not because I was intimidated or fearful about it, but I was reacting and, and perhaps overreacting to the data that kept on surfacing from folks who were leaving the church. You know, millennials, Generation Z, when they would say, why are you leaving the church? At the top of the list would always be, inevitably, it was political. Right. You know, the church is too political. And when I read that, I, I thought to myself, well, I, I don't want to play a role in driving people away from the church because we want, you know, whoever will come, we want them to come and feel comfortable. And we want to create this church where people who don't like church love to attend. Right. And, and so it, it seemed logical and it seemed sensible. Uh, but I really think that everybody should keep on wrestling with their, con, you know, their conclusions and assumptions. And this, I really changed my mind about it because as, as we've continued to drill down on Jesus's great ethic, the kingdom command of love your neighbor as yourself, yeah. love one another as I've loved you, it, it really seems to be an impossibility to talk about loving your neighbor without also considering the political nature of that. You know, in our country, we're Americans, many of us are Christian, uh, and as we wrestle with what does it mean to love our neighbors, uh, we have to concern ourselves with things like policy and law because, because policies and laws affect people. So in our cultural context, we have to be um, mindful, informed. We have to care about, to some degree, uh, the political nature of things if we're going to love our neighbor, if we're going to take every opportunity to love our neighbor, to make sure our neighbors are loved and cared for. So I really shifted and thought, you know, starting really at the beginning of last year, I wanted to talk about this and it just didn't seem like the right time had come. And so we waited till a month before the most contested election in the history of the, the country to talk about it. And so here we are. <laughs> okay. So, okay. With that, one of the things that, that I've heard, and I've even personally felt a little bit is just, uh, 
like, I just don't like it. Um, and even like Sunday, um, you know, sitting there, I was like, man, we're talking about politics just a lot. And it's very, to someone who's grown up here, it seems a little unnatural, very different. It's very uncomfortable. I think that's a better way of, of putting it. So, you know, and I'm sure if I feel that way, probably a lot of other people are feeling a little bit of un- discomfort with it, not, not necessarily liking talking about something that we've probably not talked directly to. So I guess, what would you say to the person in the room who, who feels that way? Or maybe they're not in the room right now because of that. Well, I would say in a general sense, most of the things that make us uncomfortable are the things that strike us most personally. Okay. So it's, it's impossible to, to separate faith and politics. Jesus showed up and used political language. He was overtly political. He used the term king. Um, he referred to himself as a king. Well, that at the same time that there's a Caesar sitting on the throne in Rome, Uh, So Jesus is making a political claim about being a king while another man is on the throne. He's with Pilate, who is an extension of the Caesar's authority, and he stands before Pilate and speaks again of being king and being of a kingdom that is not of this world. So those are are overtly political ideas and terms, and Jesus spoke of the poor, which is part of the political paradigm. Jesus spoke of the powerless, which is part of the political paradigm. You know, You can't separate those things. Those two things, they just are. They're part. Whether you claim faith or have no faith, your worldview about what you believe about the world around you, it is part of the way that you see and understand the world, which is part of politics. So it really is an an unreasonable expectation to think that really anyone can be apolitical. To say, I'm not political, is to be political. So it, it's just, it just is. Yeah. It's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It just is a thing. And, you know, we see it all throughout the scriptures. The prophets in the Old Testament had the ears of the kings. Uh, you find Daniel working in Babylon and also in Persia, two world empires. Joseph, a prime minister in Egypt. Nehemiah, a cupbearer uh, to Artaxerxes. Paul leveraging the laws of his day to further the gospel and get to Rome. Um, you just see this stuff intersecting all the time. And, and it's just not, uh, it's not reasonable for us to want to separate those. And it's not healthy for us to want to separate those things. Because our faith as Christians, it colors how we see everything including politics. And and back to not talking about it, I don't think it's political conversations that drive people away from the church. I think we should say partisanship is what drives people away from the church. Okay. You can talk about politics without being partisan. You can you can talk about politics without demonizing one group and idolizing another. Um, you know, those though that doesn't have to be the way the conversation goes. You can talk about politics, you can talk about what is, and then you can overlay what our faith may mean to our current reality. And I think that's what we're trying to do to the best of our ability not be partisan. We're committed to not being partisan because that's a barrier and not a bridge. Okay. But to talk about politics really is incumbent upon us embracing the great commandment of Jesus, which is to love our neighbors as ourselves. So it's, it's a bit like the, like the people who get uncomfortable when there's a sermon on, on money or marriage or sex or serving. You get the uncomfort co- might be coming from a personal struggle or just a personal dislike or you just don't like what the scripture has to say about that. We love autonomy. We've loved it since the garden. 
We love the autonomy of thinking what we want to think. We don't want our thoughts intruded upon, especially thoughts that are important to us or close to us or perhaps beneficial to us. And the moment that any other ideal or any other worldview or any other truth or any other opinion begins to invade upon our autonomous thinking, that's, that's uncomfortable. Uh, none of us want to be challenged in what we think about the world. We don't want our presuppositions or our assumptions challenged. Uh, nobody enjoys that, but it's good for us because no one person has a corner on all right thinking. So we all need to continue to question even what we think we know because otherwise, without questioning, uh, we become ignorant and we become dogmatic. And neither one of those two things we should strive to be. So asking questions and entertaining different points of view allows us not to be ignorant. We, we become more informed, which I think we would all agree is a good thing. And we become less dogmatic, which allows us to be open and teachable, which is a part of humility which Jesus identified with himself. So I think that, I think that it's in keeping with our faith that we talk about these things and be made uncomfortable by them. As I said, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there's a reason why they killed Jesus. These things are uncomfortable. Right. Um, and, and just because they're uncomfortable doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about them. Okay. So you talked to, okay, so, uh, so partisanship is probably one of the big reasons why lots of people walked away um, from faith, from church, um, attributing you know, all of that to that. And a couple of weeks ago, you introduced this idea that Jesus is our politic. You know, we, we don't really belong to a party. If, if we did, it would be the party of Jesus. So what does, what does that politic look like? What does that party look like? Break that down a little bit. Well, for one, you know, sometimes when we have these discussions, something that we all are, are potentially guilty of is we hear something and then we jump to the furthest, most possible conclusion of what we think the person is saying. I want to be clear that I'm not talking about that it's wrong to be a Republican or wrong to be a Democrat. Okay. I'm talking about our, our uttermost allegiance is supposed to be to Jesus. Now, we've got to do the very hard work uh, and sometimes the very complicated work of figuring out what a supreme allegiance to Jesus looks like as either a Republican or a Democrat. Now, when we say that Jesus is our politic, I think it's really important to say that more than Jesus speaking in political terms, he offers himself to us as a politic to live our lives by. That is that he offers us a way to interpret history, uh, the history of humanity, where we come from. Um, are we created or are we the object of an unguided evolutionary plan that just allows for us one day to show up in cosmic history? Jesus offers us an interpretation of that past because how we view where we came from, whether we are a people of purpose or incident, how we view ourselves will have very much to do with how we see one another, how we see the world around us and how it's supposed to be shaped and structured. Uh, so Jesus offers us an interpretation of history and he says we are fearfully and wonderfully created, that we are a people created in the heart and the mind of God, that we are a people of purpose, and that we are placed here on this earth to pursue flourishing, that we are here to carry out the image of God, to be God's image uh, on this planet among each other. So he offers us an interpretation of the past. He also offers us a way to think about the present, to be able to look at reality and to know how to think about reality uh, and to know what's really going on, to be able to see you know, beyond, as the Apostle Paul would talk, uh, just beyond what we can see, to the truer reality of what we can't see. Now, 
It's very different if you believe that the only reality that exists is what you can see. You put a person who believes that there's more to this life than just what you can see, that brings a brand new texture and depth to life. So Jesus says, life is more than what you can just see and place your hands on. There's a reality that is seen and there is a greater reality that is unseen. And then beyond that, Jesus offers us a vision for the future of the way that we are supposed to live our lives, what it looks like to be truly human and what those characteristics and what those values look like and how we're to interact with each other. Because again, that's what politics wrestles with. Those are the questions. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human in in close proximity with each other? What does it mean to have justice as human beings? What does it look like to be in community with each other as human beings? And what, what should we think about the economics of how we use money among ourselves as human beings? Jesus offers us all of that. Politics has always been wrestling with those questions, but Jesus offers us a way to see those things and to think about those things from a uniquely Christian perspective that is filtered through the scriptures and specifically with what Jesus brought to us in the world. So he is the way that we see the world. And by him and through him, we really do the the hard work of trying to figure out what this means now and what this means here in a republic, a democrat republic, you know, nation, How do we live out the faith and the values of Jesus? Because it's just not I'm this or that. I'm a Jesus follower first, and I'm trying to figure out what that means with all these secondary affiliations. So a lot of people try to, you know, I've seen a lot of people pick their party, try to attach Jesus to their party, and then say, I just don't understand how you can have the politic of Jesus and claim to be a part of this party. And it leads to a ton of just dehumanizing talk, especially when, they st- when you start looking at candidates and the people that we, w- that we have in leadership. I guess, what do you say to the person who would be like, I just don't know how you can be a Republican and a Christian or a Democrat and a Christian. I don't know how you could, you know, how you can wear the Jesus name tag and vote for someone like that. As you were talking about that, the first thing that came to my mind was Paul talking to the Galatians about a group of people who said, I don't see a way that you can be Christian without you being circumcised. And Paul talked about how much of an antithesis to the gospel that type of thinking was. Uh, To say that I can't see how you can be a Christian and do this, or I don't think that you can be a Christian and think that, or I don't think you can be a Christian and vote with uh, for him or for her or with them, um, is to really go the way of what's been happening since the church has been the church. A group of people who try to lay something on top of grace. You know, we're either saved by grace and not of works or we're not. To which Paul looked at the group of people who said, okay, you think you got to be circumcised uh, to be saved? Well, why don't you just go a little bit further and emasculate yourself? Right. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and take your position to its own logical conclusion? And if you want to be the guardian of who gets into the kingdom or not, based on your policemaning or, you know, of what people do vote, think or whatever, I don't want that position personally, and I don't want to even go through life looking at folks and trying to figure out who's in and who's out. Um, And I think it's just really dangerous, and I think it's really, you know, antithetical to the gospel to say, you know, I think if you do this or do that or think this or vote that way, that there's no way you can be a Christian. I, I just think we should think about 
what that type of language does and how it undermines the prayer of Jesus in John 17 where he said, I pray that you would be one. I mean, imagine, imagine the potential you know, for drama among the first century uh, disciples. Yeah. I mean, you got Peter, James, and John, and Andrew who were fishermen, so they were kind of small business owners in Galilee. Then you got Matthew, who's a tax collector, who has, you know, been robbing them, probably extorting them if he were true to the tax collectors of his day. Then you've got uh, Simon the Zealot among that number. So you, you've, got, you've got partisanship among the disciples, but yet they sit together, they work together. Uh, sometimes I imagine they argued together. Uh, but at the end of the day, they were rallied behind Jesus, and we have to figure out a way to get back to that embracing of that type of diversity, even political diversity, to understand that people see things differently because they may be standing in a different place. And someone may see something that I don't see uh, just because of where they're standing. And, and not to say that we can't disagree with people and what they decide to do as far as their politics go. We can. And we should be able to discuss that in a, in a respectful, gracious, loving way uh, because we would probably all benefit from it. But to say that someone has to be this or has to be that or vote this or vote that in order to be a Christian, I, I just find that to be unkeeping with uh, the New Testament. So how then, how then do you keep from... All right, so let's say, regardless of, of which side of the aisle you happen to see things on, I think everyone would agree that you almost have to sell out or compromise to a degree um, on, on, on something in order to support really any political party. You're gonna be compromising something. And, and there's unappetizing elements to, to lots of candidates and lots of people um, and a lot of the rhetoric that goes, goes along with that. So how do you, I guess, how do, you, how do you vote for someone and not be compromising personally? Well, first of all, I wanna say one thing. We don't have this figured out. Right. You know, and, and I was a little bit apprehensive about doing the back and forth Q&A because I've got thoughts and opinions, but because they're my thoughts or opinions, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're more credible or correct. Um, I'm trying to wrestle through some of these questions as well. But in addition to that, um, we're going to talk about that in, uh, next, in the closing week of the series. Okay. Uh, about a hierarchy of loyalties. That everyone has to evaluate their Christian worldview and, and begin to develop a hierarchy of what is most important based on the time and place and our opportunity. And, and that does require some thought. Um, I don't think that we should be one issue people because there are more issues than just one issue. Uh, now, some issues are louder than others. Uh, some issues are more uh, emotional than others, and that's okay. And, but we, we also have to realize that there is an entire buffet of issues that affect lives. All politics is connected to people, born and unborn. So when all politics are connected to people, uh, all politics is centered around life. So when all politics is connected to life, a person, a neighbor, um, Jesus didn't invite us to simplicity. He invited us really to complexity. The gospel's simplistic. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Pretty simple. Uh, but 
to follow Jesus is to follow in a path of complexity. When you're talking about policies and laws and you're talking about the psyches and the souls of men and women and the stories and the brokenness of humanity, those are all incredibly complex things to think about. So it's not, it's not easy and it's not a one, one size uh, you know, fits all type of thing. And, and there has to be, as we'll talk about, a freedom of conscious uh, decision-making based on you know, our motive to please God, our motive to stay true to our faith, our motive of believing that what we're doing is accomplishing the most good, and, and giving each other the grace to believe that we have some freedom to see things differently. And, and that requires a lot of patience and requires a lot of conversations and requires us to refuse to just label each other and to stereotype each other just because we see one or two or three issues differently from one another. So it requires a lot of energy and a lot of, a lot of restraint. Uh, but we will try to take that a little further and a little deeper um, in the week that uh, we end things before the election. Okay, that'll be fun. Okay, so you mentioned some things that, you mentioned that there are some issues that are bigger than others, and um, you've also mentioned that as, as Jesus followers, there are some things that are, are key when it comes to our politic. Um, one of those being equality. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of other things that you said too, and, but in our current climate, in our current culture, words mean different things to different people from different tribes and different, with different backgrounds, and that word equality is, is one of those. How would, how would you or how would Jesus define equality? Well, I, don't, I want to be very careful about speaking <laughs> on behalf of Jesus or putting words in Jesus' mouth. Fair enough. Um, I, I will say this, that Again, this comes from being thoughtful with our faith and the way we see the world. What's happening among the kingdoms of men, the kingdoms of this world, and and the political power brokers is the hijacking of great words. You know, all throughout the scriptures, we see ideals surfacing that God is behind. Uh, Equality being one of those, justice being another, righteousness being another, mercy being another. And and we could add to that list. Um, And as you see these ideals playing out in both the Old Testament and the prophets, because so much of the prophets and the minor prophets is are these men calling the people of God back to these ideals that are rooted in image-bearing that we want equality for all people. We, we think that all people are created in the image of God. That means despite the way that you look, despite the way that you may live your life, despite what you may think, despite of the behavior of your life, despite all of those things, you bear the thumbprint of God. You are created in the image of God. And because of that, you are important to God. And because you are important to God, you are important to me. You are worthy of dignity. You are worthy of respect. You're worthy of love, mercy, justice, equality, and all of those great ideals which we are supposed to be pursuing. So to say that we are a people who, who want equality, the, the, polit- the political power brokers of the world sweep in and they begin to use the same vocabulary but they switch dictionaries on people. So all of a sudden you talk about equality and one group hears this, and you talk about equality and another group hears this. All of a sudden a great ideal, a great thing becomes a trigger word 
because of, again, our hyper-political tribalism. Right. And now when you talk about equality, now it's divisive. How is it that not everybody can get behind the idea of equality? Yeah. When even the scriptures are calling us to that in the Old Testament. Don't, you know, don't exploit the poor, don't exploit the foreigner, don't exploit the widow or the orphan, don't exploit the powerless. Give them equality, pay fair wages, you know, give them opportunity. And, and you see this over and over again. And I, I think that as Christians, we need, to, we need to pull ourselves out of that vacuum to say, okay, we're not gonna fall into the trap of taking a really great ideal that we even find in the scriptures and saying, okay, we're gonna allow that to be a trigger word. We're gonna be clear in, in what we say about it that we believe every individual, black, white, brown, any shade in between, we believe that every human being, whether a citizen of our country or not, we believe that every human being, despite their political affiliation, despite their religious affiliation, uh, despite what they have done or what they are presently guilty of, that every single person is made in the image of God. I see God when I look at individuals. I see his handiwork. I see someone fearfully, wonderfully made. But beyond that, as a Jesus follower, I see someone who not only bears the image of God, but I see someone who bears upon their shoulders the love of God, someone that Jesus Christ became human being in order to die for. So I see the incredible value of a human being because God has made them and God has made means to redeem them. I see every human being, whether they are the politician on the television, whether it's the meme on Facebook or whether it, it is some characterization or stereotype that we see playing out in culture. I see beyond all of that as a Jesus follower, and I'm supposed to be able to see them as an image bearer and as a person that Jesus Christ died for. And I think, I want to think that when we can keep that mindset of this is what this person really represents, that's gonna help us get to the heart of what really matters and to be able to escape all of this um, rhetoric and these words that have been hijacked by our culture in order to divide us uh, we ought to be the group of people defining what that means and helping to paint a picture of what that means so that people are attracted to those previews of the kingdom to come. There's no inequality in the kingdom to come. In the new world to come, there's no such thing as inequality. Uh, and so we're pursuing that now because we believe that's part of the kingdom of God to come. So I think we just have to pause, step away, and remember what we are as human beings. Um, that we are not here to fight each other and to kill each other and, and to enact revenge and uh, all the things that we've been so unfortunately guilty of throughout history, we're not here to oppress. Uh, we should be here to, to see human flourishing for all people. Again, Jeremiah's words, pursue the peace and prosperity of the city because when it goes good for the city, it goes good for everyone. And God is uniquely interested in it going good for everyone. And I think we should be too. Now, the obvious application to all of this, especially in our current season, is to vote, is to use the voice that you have. You know, we, we live in a democracy. That's one of the great things about it. Um, but there's so much more to it than that, you know, establishing the kingdom of God. You talked a little bit about that last Sunday. Um, what are some other ways that you would say we, we can engage and we can contribute to human flourishing. We can help, you know, help reach into the future and bring a little bit of the kingdom of God to the present. 
Well, I think that we have to be careful about the fact that we don't allow our voting, which we should do, and you just mentioned, we, we don't allow our voting to abdicate our personal responsibilities as followers of Jesus. I may vote for the government to deal with the issue of poverty in uh, a particular way based on how I think that maybe government is best positioned to deal with that issue. But it does not abdicate my responsibility as a Jesus follower to try to personally make a difference among the poor. Uh, My voting is not an abdication of my Christian responsibility, one. Two, it it really is about getting involved. And, And it's about understanding that there is no superficial level of involvement within our culture. We are to be involved in every layer of the fabric of society. Um, We are to make art and to make it beautiful and to be provocative and to introduce thoughts and ideas and challenge thinking through the, the songs that we pen, the lyrics that we write, the art that we produce. You know, Christians throughout history, we were on the front end of art, and art was furthering people's thinkings. It, 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 it brought about brand new ways of seeing the world. It, it opened doors that, that the church and the gospel was able to leverage to advance the cause of Christ. So we should be on the forefront of all the circles of culture which influence culture. And, and we do that through art, we do that through politics, we do that through strong families, we do that through being involved in our communities, whether it's coaching a team, uh, whether it's you know, teaching a classroom, whether it's staying at home as a mom, whether it's uh, you know, being you know, excellent at what you do, that all of those things are mechanisms for which Christians can be sought and light. You know, when, when, Christians, when Christians began to really bring about change in the first century Roman world, it wasn't because they had a seat at Caesar's table and it wasn't because they were fully represented in the Roman Senate or anything else of that nature. It's because we were present on the ground level. You know, Rome wanted hospitals for their soldiers so that they could continue to conquer new lands, but it was Christians who came along and said, why don't we make hospitals available to everybody? So Christians were involved in healthcare. And then Christians began to be involved in education to say, okay, we want, we want to educate people. We want to educate men. We want to educate women. We want to help them learn to think. We want, we want them to be, uh, you know, entertainers of, of great ideas and, and great means of thinking and, and to, to offer that type of, you know, uh, process and institution to the world. So Christians got involved in, in multiple layers of society, and because of it, human flourishing was able to emerge. The westernized, you know, world that we live in has been greatly impacted in ways that we can't even understand, that we're so far into it, we can't see it of Christians in generations past who involved themselves in every level of culture they had an opportunity to be involved in. And I think that's what we've got to continue to do. Christians shouldn't be shy about being involved in politics. Christians shouldn't feel bad about not being involved in politics because they're involved somewhere else. We're all gifted and we all have these things to offer. And, and, and Jesus you know, points out in the New Testament, there's three institutions that God ordained to bring about change in the world. The family, the church, and government. And we should be ferocious uh, defenders of each and involved uh, deeply in all of those. Family, the church, 
and government. God has put those three institutions in place to work about his purposes in the world, and, and we should uh, concern ourselves greatly with all of those. So I have one more, one more question. Yeah. One more. So you mentioned this past Sunday that this was something that many of us aren't going to see in our lifetime, in our generation, that it's a multi-generational thing. So many people have, many of us, we're both dads, um, many, many parents in our church, lots of teachers, lots of people that volunteer with kids and with students, and lots of, lots of students and kids. So to those of us who are developing and cultivating the next generation and to the next generation, just with that end in mind, what would you say? What would be your, your instruction? Well, I think we just, we just position ourselves for the long game. Uh, we're in it for the long term. So we take any ground that we can get to do good. And a great study would be for anybody to open up their, their Bible, if they have a real Bible or just not a real Bible, but a physical <laughs> Bible, and, and, or to take their device and, and just do a search on on doing good, verses about doing good. The New Testament, you know, one of the, the, the most known is Paul saying overcome evil by doing good. Um, it was said of Jesus, he went about doing good. There, there's so many things, you know, Peter, 1 Peter 2.21, you know, let the pagans see your good works, or Jesus, let them see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So I think we take any opportunity in the present to do good without severing any bridges, burning down any bridges that God may use our children or grandchildren to cross some distant tomorrow. We wanna get all the ground that we can get today to do good, not to win, but to do good, to do good for all people. We do everything we can do to do good for all people and we just continue that pursuit and we try to hand it off better than we found it. And then we train our children and grandchildren and their children and grandchildren to pursue the same thing for the same reason, to be a people who pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A people who see the future kingdom of God and we understand how wonderful and glorious it's gonna be with art and with work and with relationships and feasting and food and just life like we've never experienced, life without end free of disease, free of inequality, free of you know, any injustice whatsoever. And we do all that we can to bring those glimpses and previews to the present. And we, we hand it off to our children and grandchildren and say, hey, you run with the ball as far as you can down the field, and when it's time, you hand it off. Um, and make sure that you're working for the good of all people while understanding that the hope of the world is Jesus. And we're discipling while we're doing good. And... Other than that, I don't know what we can do. <laughs> That's a good start. Yeah. It's a good start. Well, thank you for all the answers. Thank you guys for the questions. Uh, make sure you're back next week as we continue the series. But before we go, Trevor, would you, would you pray for us? Yeah. Lord, uh, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus. Uh, God, thank you that uh, we see you in the New Testament so often uh, having conversations, talking. And we know that conversations are a great way to learn. Uh, it's a great way to begin to think about the things that we need to think about. And so, God, today, it's not about answers as much as it is thinking about these things and learning to think about these things and appreciating the fact that you said that we're to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that everything we are and everything we have, we are to leverage, to love you, and to love others the way that you've loved us. So I pray that as we talk about this, I pray that the, the discomfort of it will sharpen us 
and grow us and uh, better prepare us to be Jesus followers uh, in this generation in which we live. And I pray it in Jesus' name for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. In his name, amen.